0: Being successful is really hard. If I don't produce product in my shop every day and put stuff in my gallery, my cash register in my gallery doesn't go kaching kaching. So, it takes a lot more personal dedication to make your own gig go. But the reward is really good too.
1: This is the Penny Forward Podcast, a show about blind people building bright futures one penny at a time. I'm Chris Peterson.
2: And I'm Liz Botner.
1: We are blind people learning from each other how to be successful in our personal, professional, and financial lives.
2: Before we start, we'd like to thank Ron and Lisa Brooks at Accessible Avenue for sponsoring the Penny Forward Podcast. I'm sure many of us have experienced frustration and uncertainty when trying to use public transportation or paratransit services that are either inaccessible or just poorly designed for meeting our needs. Accessible Avenue works with transit agencies and other mobility providers to make transportation services accessible for everyone, including those of us who are blind or visually impaired. Accessible Avenue also works with individuals and organizations who need training or assistance with public transportation problems. You can learn more at www.accessibleavenue.net.
1: We'd also like to thank Kane Brolin of Brolin Wealth Management for sponsoring the podcast. Investing doesn't have to be complicated, and it's never too late to take action. But depending on how far away your goals are, The decisions you need to make will be very different. Kane Brolin is a blind certified financial planner and chartered special needs consultant who may be able to help you no matter how much you have or what stage of life you are in. Learn more by visiting brolinwealth.com or by calling 574-254-7180. This is part two of a two-part interview with George Wurtzel. You may recognize George because he was in a 2018 Subaru Outback commercial that was quite popular for some time. That sounds a little bit like this.
2: Does this map show the Peninsula Trail? The
1: shopkeeper shakes his head.
0: Peninsula Trail. You won't find that on a map. Says an old man in the back. I'll take you there.
1: Walking with a white cane. George is also an avid woodworker and has been woodworking and manufacturing furniture and architectural millwork and other things for most of his 50-year career. And we are going to learn from George about how he got started, what some of his struggles were finding work as a blind person, and how he turned his passion and talent for woodworking and engineering into a thriving set of businesses over the course of his long career. We hope you enjoy it. Let's get started.
2: What was your experience like doing the Subaru commercial?
0: I had never done anything like that before in my whole life, so it was all new to me, and it was really cool. I was, quote, the talent, unquote. Because when they hire somebody who is the principal part of something, you become what's called, quote, the talent. So the first funny thing that happened was you go to wardrobe, somebody who's designed this ad decides what they want the look of the people in the ad to be. So there's huge places in L.A. that have just warehouses and warehouses and warehouses full of anything that you could imagine clothing furniture whatever you need and so they go to the place that does wardrobing and they say these are the people that are going to be in our ad these are their sizes this is the style of clothing slacks you know whatever we're looking for so I go to the wardrobing thing which is on the first day of the shoot and everything and I probably try on 20 different pieces of clothing all kinds of different pants and and shirts and western stuff and blue jeans and torn up stuff and just all kinds of stuff and finally the guy who's the director who's in charge of who's going to wear what he comes back out and he goes you know what he says the clothes that you had on when you walked in here this morning he says we don't have anything that looks any better with you on you than that and that's exactly the look we're looking for so I, I I wore my own clothes in the ad, which is really crazy. I mean, that, that never happens, you know, but they do pay you $29 and 80 cents a day to wear your own clothes. I don't know what they pay you to take them off, but I will tell you, they pay you $29, 80 cents a day to wear your own clothes. So that that was, that was pretty funny. I, I got a huge kick out of that.
1: And what else keep going?
0: Well, um, <laughs> it was, it was just a cool experience. You know, you, You say the same things, you know, you know, 10,000 times over and over and over you, you, you do the same scene, you know, 25 times the very beginning of the, of the ad is the young couple walks into the little general store and, and the girl walks over to the rack and picks up a map and says, you know, is the peninsula trail on this map? And the, the grumpy old, really curmudgeonly guy behind the counter doesn't even say a word. He just shakes his head. No. And I'm sitting over in the corner in a chair by the wood stove. And I says, you won't find that on a map. I'll take you there. And I get up out of my chair, pick up my cane and walk out the door and we go get in the Subaru and drive off. We probably did that scene 30 times. I mean, I just, <laughs> maybe even more, you know, and I, you just do it and do it and do it till somebody decides, oh yeah, okay. Well, that's the way we want it to look, you know. Every action in the whole thing was like that. you break things down in little tiny bite sized elements you know you you do this little piece then you do this little piece then you do this little piece. when they're done through the magic of film editing you know they put it all together and make one contiguous thing out of it but it it was great. It gave me a big chunk of money enough money that the the building that I'm sitting here in in Greenville, Tennessee, that's mine. I paid cash for it.
1: What was it like to buy a commercial building and I gather you needed to do some fixing up of it once you bought it.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel. I had some real specific, besides the fact I wanted a building big enough to have an art gallery in, you know, my wood shop in and a place to live, I had some other criteria too. It had to be in a town that was walkable. It had to be in a spot that was visible. It had to be in a place That was, you know, close to amenities, grocery stores, restaurants, doctor's offices, and and those types of things. So every little town, my friend Sharon and I, we kept a log and we looked at, I don't know how many hundreds of buildings, but we actually went inside 40 different buildings, you know, looking at buildings to buy, starting over in Memphis, Tennessee, coming all the way across the state of Tennessee over into the very western tip of North Carolina and then up into the southwestern corner of Virginia and into the southeastern corner of Kentucky. There's a whole ton of little towns over in this area. And we just kept looking and looking and looking. And I I was a little bit under the gun to find a place to move because Enchanted Hills only gave me 90 days to get my stuff off of their property after I quit and all the woodworking machinery tools and equipment that was at Enchanted Hills that we ran all of our programming off of all belonged to me. It's all my equipment. So they were a little bit snotty about it. You know, you got to have it all out of here in 90 days, blah, blah, blah. So I started looking and I found some, it is exactly what I wanted. The roof was bad. There was no windows left in the building. No heating plant. Electrical panel was poor at best. There was really not a functioning bathroom in the building when I bought it. But besides that, it was a fantastic building. Oh, and the termites had really done their job on one corner of it. (laughs) We'll continue our interview in a moment. But first...
1: So, you want to start a podcast, but you're not sure where to start. Here are some tips for creating a successful podcast. Keep your podcast focused. While it might be tempting to create a podcast that's all thanks to all listeners, successful shows tend to have a narrow, focused topic. Two, be consistent. If you're going to do a show, do it once a week, twice a week, once a month. But whatever that time frame is, make sure you are consistent. And finally, use music segments to break up the show. However, don't use copyrighted music. Use royalty-free music or music that you have written permission to use. For more tips like this and podcast coaching, check out superblink.org. We're here to help. Is there something you'd like to talk about? Visit pennyforward.com slash podcast to learn how you can contact us and send us a voicemail that we may share on the air.
2: What advice do you have either in general or in terms of starting a career for other blind people that you may want to share?
0: Never take advice from anybody who doesn't have some sort of investment in the outcome of their advice they give you because you can tell anybody anything and if the outcome doesn't affect you at all it's real easy to tell someone you should go to college and become a X or a Y because that's what blind people do they go to college and they get degree and then they go off and get a job well then you go off and you do that and then you can't find a job those people had nothing invested in that only you did So figure out what you want to do and then pursue that. Being successful is really hard. Having a job where people pay you an hourly wage or a salary or whatever, if you go into that job and you have a bad day, you don't feel good, uh, you go home, you get your sick pay, really very little consequence to you as to your existence. You know, you come back in the next week, you pick up the stuff that you kind of missed, you know, you go on and you do your job and, and you get your paycheck every week. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ching When you work for yourself, that no longer exists. If I don't produce product in my shop every day and put stuff in my gallery, my cash register in my gallery doesn't go ka-ching, ka-ching. So it takes a lot more personal dedication to make your own gig go. But the reward is really good, too. The reward is that if I decide tomorrow morning that I want to go get on an airplane and go to L.A. to see somebody perform, if I have the cash in the bank, I can do that. No one can tell me no. I mean, that's the benefit of working for yourself. But, I mean, it, you don't get there overnight. I spent one huge amount of time, 100-hour weeks, once upon a time, building my shop in Traverse City. It was long and hard to get it to where it was. And then the risk is there, too. You know, then you lose the whole thing and you have to start over again. I mean, that was pretty devastating, you know, to spend almost 10 years of my life building something into what I thought was going to be my lifelong vocation running in you know, Wurzel Woodwork in Traverse City, Michigan, to have that all just jerked right out from underneath you, that's pretty tough. And then to pick yourself back up and decide that what do I do now? And then, and go right back at it. it, it it's hard. Don't let anybody tell you that starting your own business, working for yourself is easy because it's not.
1: When we talked on the phone, you had some pretty strong opinions about what blind people are capable of when it comes to to making money and and ways that we could we could do that. You remember that conversation, and you want to talk about that a little bit.
0: I've had this quote unquote philosophical conversation with multitudes of different blind people, you know, over my lifetime. People who think that it is demeaning for blind people to make brooms because that's a blind person job. That's a it's stereotypical. I mean, you both may be young enough that you don't remember that there were blind broom makers in the world. But I mean, it was one of those things that sheltered workshops or workshops taught blind people how to do. I think the last blind broom maker that I know of is in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he put two or three kids through college making his brooms and selling them on the street corner. That probably wasn't too bad of a living. We don't do anything with teaching blind people about animal husbandry. All the schools for the blind that existed, you know, I want to say pre-1965 anyways, I'm going to guess with the exception of maybe ones in New York City or Chicago or something, but all of the schools for the blind, they all had animal husbandry programs. They all taught people how to raise chickens, how to take care of goats, how to milk goats and, and that. And I don't know when the last time was that you guys bought A dozen free range chicken eggs, but you pay six, seven dollars a dozen for free range chicken eggs. You can go to the grocery store and buy factory made chicken eggs for about a buck and a half a dozen. There's a pretty good chunk of change in between those two points. That all goes in your pocket. I mean, there is good, I mean, really good money raising free range chickens. Now, Is it an easy job? No, you got to get out there. You get chicken on your hands. You got to pick up the eggs. You got to clean them. You got to get them in cartons. You got to get them to whatever the marketplace is. But I mean, that's all your money. We don't teach people skills jobs anymore because rehabilitation has gone from people who used to work at rehabilitation centers to teach people blindness jobs. We've gone from people who actually knew how to work to people who have college education. So I, as a you know, 60-year-old guy, I walk into a rehabilitation office for the blind and say to some 26-year-old kid who just graduated from college, I want a job. And the first thing he is going to say, well, I think you should go to college because that's the only thing he's ever done in his whole life is go to school. So that's the only thing he knows. And he has been taught that's the easy thing for blind people to do, go to college, get a degree, get a job. There are people like me who just don't fit well in the college job market. I cannot work behind a desk. I mean, I just can't. I mean, I've tried to do it before. I've made it 18 months once uh, working behind a desk, and it just is not me. I want to work with my hands. I want to build stuff. I want to be creative. I've been in two of the big major shows based purely on the merit of my work. And you submit your slides. You become a number. You uh, get evaluated by the people who are the picking the people for the show and then you get awarded a slot and then they get to know that you're no longer number 27, you're George Wurzel. And that's what I'm looking for. Don't ever tell me that I'm amazing because I can build a piece of furniture. If you want to tell me I'm amazing because I built a really, really cool and fantastic piece of furniture and you judged it against 100 other people, I'm thrilled to hear that.
1: You also talked about how it feels and what you do when people reject your bids because you're a blind person. And that happens from time to time. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: This comes back to what you think of yourself, self-esteem, how thin-skinned you are about different things. I hear people who whine about the fact they went out and they applied for jobs and they didn't get the job. I worked in the business where every week, If you're going to stay in business anyways, every week you bid a job to do Mrs. Smith's kitchen, to do the bank teller line for, you know, First National Bank, you know, to put a new storefront on Bill Smith's store or whatever. And you you submit your bid and they decide if you're going to get the job or not get the job based on somebody making a decision. I always figured in my business, as a person who was outbidding jobs, if I worked at about an 80% failure rate, I was doing really, really good. So I knew 80% of the jobs that I bid, I was never going to get. 80% failure rate. So you get really used to failure and you don't let it bother you anymore because it's absolutely impossible for you to have a hundred percent success rate in bidding jobs because it's physically impossible for you to do that kind of that amount of work. So I have had people tell me right point blank to my face. I'm not going to hire you for this job because I don't think you can do it because you're blind. And my first gut reaction is to say something, um, rather unpolite and politically incorrect and then the rest of me says you know there's a lot of other work out there i've bid a lot of other jobs i've lost jobs for who knows what reasons whatsoever you don't like my work that's fine and dandy go somewhere else and and you have to learn to accept those kinds of things you can't let it bother you you can uh, be momentarily hostile towards the person, but that really won't do you any good. But if I get the job, I'll be really thrilled about it. If I don't get the job, i got other things to do. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. What battles do you want to fight is the other thing. Is and, and and as I've got older, I've also taught myself, because it, it really took teaching and, and and nothing else, to look at things and say sometimes, do I want to be happy or do I want to be right? And I've decided in the in in the last you know twenty years especially that I'd much rather be happy. If I'm if I'm not right, that's okay. You know, I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you know, especially now. I'm gonna take the happy every time.
1: We'll continue our interview in a moment, but first.
0: When it comes to money, do you feel a little lost? When you're in an unfamiliar financial environment and need a hand in understanding the lay of the land, Penny Forward is here to help. We provide affordable one-on-one and group financial education programs that give you the confidence to get out there and achieve your goals. Visit pennyforward.com to learn more about who we are and what we do.
2: Is there something you'd like to talk about? We'd love to hear from you. Visit pennyforward.com slash podcast to learn how to contact us or to leave us a voicemail that we may share on air.
1: We've got a question from a listener who submitted it via our SpeakPipe voicemail system on pennyforward.com. And I'm going to play it for you now.
0: Yes, ask George about uh, coming from Michigan to Hickory, North Carolina, to enroll in the furniture program at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, N.C., and his meeting with the head of the department there. (laughs) I should know who that is, but I can't think of their name. That
1: question comes from Nick.
0: Oh, from Nick. Okay, okay. I touched on this right at the very beginning about wanting to make sure I graduated from a quote-unquote regular high school, right? So when I decided I wanted to go back to college, my shop had just crashed. I was trying to decide what to do. I researched in the country and I found what I thought was the best fit for me. I was too poor to go visit the school and, and examine it before I went there. So I sent my transcripts to Catawba Valley College and got accepted into their furniture production program based on my high school transcripts and the few little college classes that I had already taken. And then I had also submitted a small portfolio of work that I had already done. So I get to Catawba Valley College and uh, the very first day and I go in and I meet with my scholastic advisor person who happened to be the head of the furniture department and I I walk into his office and I'm not in his office more than you know 90 seconds and he says I see that you have a cane he says do you have a vision issue and I says no I don't have a vision issue I'm totally blind and he goes I, I think we have a problem and I says we have a problem on it I don't have a problem. I says, I, I know why I'm here. I know what I want to do. And he goes, well, this program that you've signed up for is to learn how to run big pieces of industrial woodworking equipment and how to work in a furniture factory, not a little basement workshop. And I said, yeah, I understand that. That's why I'm here. That's what I want to learn how to do. And he goes, but, but you're blind. I don't know how you're going to do that. And I said to the gentleman, I says, you know, when I shook hands with you, I noticed that you only have a thumb and one finger on your hand. And he goes, yeah, that's right. And I says, how did that happen? He says, well, it was in a woodworking accident in a furniture factory. And I says, are you blind? And he goes, no, I'm not blind. And I says, so what you're telling me is being blind has nothing to do with cutting your fingers off then. Is that correct? And there was dead silence on his side of the table. And I says, After the the pregnant pause had gone away, I said to him, I says, you know, the only thing I'm looking for from you and your school is the same opportunity to cut my fingers off as you had. And that was the end of that. It was the end of that discussion over if I was going to be in their furniture program or not. I was going to pull out the next card in my deck, which was, do you receive federal funding And if you receive federal funding from your college, you pretty much got to let me in no matter what you think.
2: Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners that we didn't ask you, but you think we should know?
0: Well, this is my personal plug, my personal advertising. So I'm getting up on my soapbox right now. I'm looking down upon all of you from my perch here and telling you that I'm about to go into an endeavor that I consider to be the most significant thing that I've done so far in my life. I've built a lot of stuff for a lot of people, done a lot of things, and I've done some really cool stuff. I've been a Paralympic athlete, taken an adventure trip across Northern Europe, raised and trained and you know road horses, and I've done all kinds of crazy, really cool things. But one of the things that I've wanted to do for the last 10 years and have not brought to fruition is i would like to do some sort of tribute to helen keller who just happens to be her 100th birthday year and i am building 100 reproductions of helen keller's library table slash desk that she sat at in her house and did a lot of her writing and her work from her house burned down in 1947 so this desk that I'm building a reproduction of no longer exists. There is a desk at the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky, that's on display and is labeled Helen Keller's desk. But that was given to her by the New York Desk Company sometime around 1950 or so after her house burned down and she was, you know, rebuilding a place to live. And, and we found a photograph of Helen sitting at her library desk table in her house. And we took the photograph to some experts at a convention and passed it around to them all, and determined that this desk that Helen is setting at is a furniture piece built by L. and J.G. Stickley, probably built between 1913 and 1915. And I am going to build 100 reproductions of her desk. I'm going to bring, hopefully, over the course of one year, approximately 100 blind and deaf-blind people to my shop here in Greenville, Tennessee. And they were going to have the opportunities to be co-builders with me on 100 desks. Each person who participates will sign one of the desks as a co-builder along with my name. And then we're going to sell the desks and the proceeds from the desk are going to go into the American Foundation for the Blind. And it's going to go into the Helen Keller Scholarship Fund earmarked for people who want to do non-traditional jobs, potters, weavers, singers, poets, woodworkers, whatever that may be.
1: Wow. And uh, we love the American Foundation for the Blind. We had Dr. Kirk Adams on uh, a while back, so people can still find that on the on the podcast if they want to hear that interview. Uh, George, where can people get in touch with you or find out more about you if they want to?
0: If you Google Google, George Wurzel. It's all you got to (laughs) do. I don't know how someone gets a Wikipedia page because I didn't have anything to do with it. But I even have a Wikipedia page. I have no idea where it came from, how it came to life or anything like that. But um, my email address is gmwurzel at gmail.com. My Facebook presence, the very best Facebook presence that has all of the super cool photos and everything that's happening with my building and all the things that I make and market at the time is George the Subaru guy. And then I have a Facebook page that is also just George Wurzel. Anybody in the world is looking for me, it is not hard for them to find me. I have a friend of mine who is looking to figure out how to set up a piece of machinery to help one of her blind students in the shop class. And she's a teacher consultant and everything. She goes, it doesn't matter what you type in blind and woodworking into Google, you get George (laughs) So,
1: Well, that is pretty cool. We'll put links to some of the most common sites, including the Wikipedia page that I didn't know about, into the show notes. And if you want to get in touch with us And maybe have us get in touch with George on your behalf. You can do that by going to the contact us form on pennyforward.com or joining the Penny Forward Facebook group and and, uh, throwing something in there. And and we'll be happy to do that for you. George, thanks for being here. It's been really fun.
0: Thank you very much. Had fun doing it. I am very open person. If you ever have any woodworking questions, if you want to decide you want to pursue woodworking as your vocation show up at at my house and bring me beer money and uh, I'll teach you everything that I know Uh, if you want me to teach you you better get at it soon though because I'm getting old
2: is there something you'd like to talk about we'd love to hear from you Visit pennyforward.com slash podcast to learn how to contact us or to leave us a voicemail that we may share on air. And while you're there, please make a small donation to support our work to develop accessible and affordable financial education programs for people who are blind.
1: The Penny Forward podcast is produced by Liz Botner and Chris Peterson. Audio editing and post-production is provided by Byron Lee and transcription is provided by Ann Verdine. Web hosting is provided by Taylor's Accessible Branding Solutions.
2: Penny Forward is a community of blind people building bright futures one penny at a time. Visit pennyforward.com to learn more about who we are and what we do.
1: For all of us in the Penny Forward community, I'm Chris Peterson.
2: And I'm Liz Botner.
1: Have a great week!